A young boy on an errand for his mother had just bought a dozen eggs at the store. While he was walking out of the store with his eggs, he tripped and dropped the bag, breaking all the eggs in his carton and making a big mess on the sidewalk. The boy tried not to cry. A few people gathered around to see if he was okay and to tell them how sorry he, that they were about his eggs. And in the midst of all these people giving their uh, sympathy, one man handed the boy a dollar and said to the group, I care one dollar's worth. How much do the rest of you care? Now, if you were to ask that boy who he was most thankful for that day, it would definitely have been the man because his actions spoke a lot louder than the words of sympathy. Many people stopped to say they were sorry about his predicament, but only one man felt sorry enough to try and do something about it. It's easy to say that we care, but that man proved his care through his actions. Last week we talked about discrimination and that choosing mercy over judgment is what God desires of us as the church. And this week is a continuation of that, uh, that idea of choosing to be merciful. So last week James said, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Well, this week he starts off with a question. What good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? See, we claim that Jesus has changed our lives, and we claim that we are his children and his church. But like the crowd that told the boy they were sorry, unless our words are backed up with actions, it's just words. We are not saved by our works or actions. We know that. And that's kind of the, uh, the mantra every week of this series, because you kind of can get sidetracked on the works side with genes. Uh, so I always have to repeat that. But the fact of the matter is that works and actions are still the natural outpouring from a life of someone who has been saved. Many people told this boy that they were sorry and that they cared, but only one man cared enough to give him a dollar. In light of that man's actions, and considering how cheap eggs are in comparison to um, the average salary, it's hard to say that the others truly cared at all. We can say that we are a changed people, and, and we can say that we are Christians, but what we will see James say today is that unless those words and that intellectual knowledge and belief in Jesus is combined with the evidence of works, of acts of mercy in our lives, our faith is dead. You see, true faith is faith that works. If a man is walking on the train tracks and someone tells him, hey, there's a train coming, and the man says, thank you, you've saved my life, and now I believe that a train is coming and then he keeps walking on the tracks. You would expect that his first reaction would be, oh shoot, I better get off the tracks. Because what good does it do to just know that the train is coming? If they continue to walk on the tracks, you would assume that either they don't truly believe that there is a train coming, or they just don't care. And what we will see James say today is similar. If we know that Jesus has died to save us, if we know that he has called us to follow him, and if we know that he has sent the Holy Spirit into our lives to transform us, to be like him, then there will be evidence of that 
there will be fruit and there will be a change in our lives. Because true faith is faith that works. Our passage today is James 2, 14-26, and I'll read it in the NIV. So it starts with that question I read earlier. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, this is a passage that makes us very uncomfortable as Christians because it kind of seems counter to Everything else you hear in church, in the Bible, it seems counter to what we read in Romans and what Paul says. It makes us uncomfortable. And trying to make these two ideas work together, uh, it's hard. You know, uh, Paul says that we don't need to work to earn our salvation, that we're saved by faith through grace alone. Or grace through faith alone. So it makes us uncomfortable when he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? It sounds like he's saying we need to earn our salvation, which kind of sounds like the opposite of what I've been hammering every single Sunday. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. And then he specifically says, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Paul says we're saved by faith, not by works, but James says that faith without works is dead. How does that make any sense? How do we figure that out? And it only can make sense when you realize that when they say faith, even though they're using the same Greek word, they're not actually talking about the same things. And that's tricky, because again, they use the same exact word. But it can be applied to many different things, just like the word faith in English. You know, if I say I have faith in you, that does not mean the same thing that I mean when I say I have faith in Jesus. I don't have faith in Larissa the same way I have faith in Jesus. Now for James, when he says faith in this passage, he means believing and knowing the gospel is true. The intellectual knowledge and understanding that it is true. When Paul uses the word faith, he means putting your trust and faith in Jesus for your salvation and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life. I don't know if you can kind of see that subtle little difference there. One is an intellectual knowing of a fact, and the other is putting your faith in that fact for your salvation. 
and allowing that fact to change your life. Paul's faith has substance. It has evidence. It changes you. When Paul says that faith saves you and not works, his faith includes the natural outpouring that, that, respond, that it, uh, you're, you give as a response to what you believe. So Paul's faith includes what James means by faith. But that's not all it is. And you can see this in the very next verse of, Ephes- uh, verse of Ephesians, right after Paul says that we're saved by faith and not by works. Immediately after, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So as we go through this passage, uh, the first thing you really need to understand here uh, is that counter to all the things that people have said, James and Paul are not at odds with each other. They're not in conflict at all. They believe the same thing. Paul says that faith saves you, not works. But he says that faith, true faith, produces works. It is evidence that you truly have faith. And it is a result of truly having faith. James says that if you believe the gospel is true, but there is no evidence that it has impacted or changed your life at all, you don't have Paul's faith as he talks about in Ephesians and in Romans. You just believe a fact is true. And that doesn't really help you at all. He explains this through an example He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep well-formed and well-fed, but does nothing to help them with their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. And when it says a brother or sister is without food, the Greek word here literally is naked. So imagine you're walking down the road, and a fellow, someone from church, walks out of the, the woods, and they're naked and starving. You don't know what's happened, but they're just like, I need your help, please. You won't believe what happened. Like, I really need help. And then you say, that sounds awful. Well, I hope it works out for you. And then you just walk away and ignore them and leave them there in the woods. What good is that? It doesn't help them at all. In the same way, he says that faith without actions is dead and useless. And when he says faith, again, he means intellectually knowing that Jesus is real and the gospel is true. Then he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. And that one phrase is paramount, I will show you my faith by my deeds. It proves our faith. Like that man proved he cared by giving the boy a dollar to help him get new eggs. We can say anything. But our actions prove that our faith is truly in Jesus to save us because he has called us to be transformed. And being transformed means we change. But notice that he's saying essentially, if you just have an intellectual belief and understanding that Jesus really is God, if you just know that, and that what he said is true, but you do nothing with it. You're basically at the same level as the demons, because they also believe that. And that's a pretty intense thing for him to say. Um, That makes me very uncomfortable. Like, good for you. You're as good as the demons in hell. He says they believe Jesus is God, 
But how much good is knowing that fact doing for them? James equates faith with their works, or believing or understanding the intellectual fact about Jesus being the Son of God and the Gospel, if you just know that's true and do nothing with it. He equates it with merely acknowledging God's existence. But this kind of faith has nothing to show for itself. There's no personal trust in Jesus to save you. There's no pursuit of wisdom or no evidence of sincerity at all. Then in verse 20 he says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith of their deeds is useless? Also, I just want to point out the fact that it's pretty intense of him to call the reader foolish. Um, yeah, he doesn't uh, pull his punches, I guess. And he says, Do you want evidence that faith of their deeds is useless? Was not Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Which again, sounds like the exact opposite of what I've been telling you for, I think, four weeks now. But the key to this is when James says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So again, remember that when James says faith, he is talking about intellectually understanding the truth. But when he says faith is made complete by what he did, that completeness, the combination of intellectual understanding and obedience in submission, the works that give evidence of a changed life, that complete faith, that is the faith Paul is talking about, the faith that saves us. Abraham believed in God, but he also left his homeland, took what he owned, and headed out into the wilderness in obedience. He was asked to sacrifice his one and only son, and he was ready to do just that. His faith did not end in mere words. He followed his belief in God through with obedience and submission. And that is why he was considered righteous in God's sight. He wasn't perfect. But his faith had substance. There was action that came out of what he said he believed. What James is saying is, if you intellectually understand and believe in God, but there's no change in your life, no pursuit of him, no evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you to transform you, you do not have true faith, the faith that saves you. Again, this doesn't mean that you're running a perfect race, and we've talked about that since the first week. It's not about running a perfect race. But what he's saying here is that if you have nothing to show for what you say you believe, you aren't running the race at all. And that is a very scary thought. In James 2.25 he says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body with the spirit is dead, so faith with the deeds is dead. So this is the second example of a person, and they're very different people. You know, Abraham, uh, he, he's kind of the, the father of the whole Israelite uh, family and nation. And then we have Rahab, who was a prostitute. But her faith was strong. So despite all the things that she uh, had wrong in her life, she chose to become identified with the nation of Israel. 
a decision she made based on faith in God. But she didn't just verbally or mentally have faith. She risked her life to protect spies from Israel because she believed. And as a result of that, she was declared righteous. See, again, it does not matter whether we live a perfect life. We can't. And in that way, no, works do not save you. You're not working to earn your salvation. But their faith went beyond words. It actually resulted in them taking action. It, it worked. It, it did things. And as a result of that, their faith was proven to be complete. They, there was evidence of their faith, and that's why they were considered righteous. And then James closes this section with the image of a corpse. Without the spirit, the body has no life. Similarly, if you claim to have faith, but there is no works or deeds to prove that is true, then your faith is useless and dead. You don't have it. That's what he's saying here. One more illustration. We just came out of an election. And during an election, candidates give many promises to their constituents and tell us that they care about them and that they're going to fix all the problems that we have. But when the dust settles and the election's over, the real truth, as we all know, is in what they do next. They may say they want to help us or they might want to fix problems uh, to get our votes, but if they then go on to break all the campaign promises they made and not keep their word, it doesn't really matter what they said during the campaign, does it? It matters what they do for their constituents. Their actions either prove that their words were true or that they were false. And the same goes for faith in Jesus. Your actions don't save you, but they prove whether you truly had faith in the first place. So as we move to the application, instead of telling you what you should take away, I want us to each kind of do an assessment of ourselves and see where we land. Uh, because this is an intense passage, and it is a bit scary. Uh, I just kind of want to make sure that we're all comfortable with where we're at. So there's three kinds of faith in this passage, and I'm going to kind of go through all of them. And as we go through it, I want us to each kind of ask ourselves, which one of these best describes me and my faith? And this isn't meant to be a judgment, uh, and it's completely just to yourself. Uh, it's just meant to help us all improve our walk with Jesus and to kind of see where we're at. Uh, because we're not perfect people, but we want to be moving closer to Jesus in our relationship with him. So the first kind of faith discussed in this passage is dead faith. And this is the kind of faith that offers words instead of actions. People who have this kind of faith, they know the right words to say when they pray, and when they're talking about the Bible and doctrine and scripture, they can even quote a number of verses from the Bible, but this person's walk does not match their talk. It's intellectual. In, in their mind, they know the doctrine of salvation. They've heard and believed that the gospel is true as a fact. But they've never truly submitted themselves to God or trusted in Jesus for their salvation. They may know the right words to say, but they don't back up their words with actions. So can this kind of faith save us? Absolutely not. And James said that three times in this passage. And again, by faith, he means the intellectual understanding. Any declaration of faith that does not result in changes in your life and works good things, acts of mercy as an outpouring from your life, is a false declaration. 
It's dead and counterfeit. And it tricks us into a false confidence. And again, not about earning your salvation. This might actually be a record week for how many times I've said that. Um, this is probably the most intense week for saying that and making sure that we're all on the same page. Um, it's not about earning your salvation. Scripture teaches that if we truly believe and put our trust in Him, if we turn away from our sin, He will send the Holy Spirit to transform and change us. And if you have done that, there will be a change in your life. There will be good works. The works don't save you. The works are proof that you have been saved. So I want us to consider, is this the kind of faith that I have? Do my works measure up to my words? Does my walk match my talk? Maybe you don't have to be perfect, but if you talk like someone who is saved, but your life in no way reflects that, it might be time to start asking yourself some hard questions. The second kind of faith here, and this one has a bit of an awkward uh, association, is demonic faith. This one's kind of shocking to us, because we don't want to think that we have demonic faith. Um, but it does remind us that even the demons have some level of faith in the way that James means faith, um, an intellectual understanding and belief. They believe in God. They believe he is real. There is not a demon in hell that does not believe God exists. They even believe in the deity of Jesus. In Mark 3, it says that whenever the demons saw Jesus, they would fall before him and shout, you are the son of God. They believed in Jesus. They also believed in the existence of hell and that Jesus would be the judge of them. In Luke 8, they begged Jesus not to send them into what they call the abyss. And then in Matthew 8, they ask if Jesus has come to torment them, acknowledging his authority as judge. So what kind of faith do demons have? Well, the dead faith we looked at before is just an intellectual faith. It's just a mental understanding that the gospel is a fact. But there's no emotional response. There's no trust in Jesus. And the demons are one step past that. They do have an emotional response. They believe, and then they tremble at the thought that it is true. This is one step above dead faith, because it is not just intellectual. It is emotional. So can this kind of faith save us? No. You can understand the truth. You can have an emotional reaction to it. You can even be stirred in your heart and still not be saved. Because true saving faith has substance. It has evidence. It results in a changed life. Being a Christian involves trusting Jesus and living for Jesus. First you receive the life and then you reveal the life to the world. So let's consider, is this the kind of faith that I have? Do I just believe the right things and feel the right things? Does my service to God go beyond intellectually holding the right doctrines? Does it go beyond having an emotional experience while in a worship service? If it doesn't, again, it might be time to start asking hard questions. The third kind of faith, and this is Paul's faith, this is the faith that saves us, is dynamic faith. When he says that we are saved by faith and not by works, this is the faith he's talking about. So what kind of faith is this? Dynamic faith is a faith that involves the whole person. Dead faith just touches the mind. Demonic faith touches the mind and emotions. But dynamic faith, true faith, involves the mind, 
the emotions, and the will. The mind understands and comprehends the truth about God. The heart desires God and rejoices in the truth. But the will acts upon the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, again, you'll never be perfect. It's not about always getting it right. But true saving faith will always lead to action. It is not intellectual contemplation. It is not emotional responses to music or scripture. True saving faith is what leads to obedience in doing good works and pursuing acts of mercy. Abraham demonstrated his saving faith by his obedience to God through his works. Rahab demonstrated that she had faith by saving the spies. True saving dynamic faith is faith that works. All other kinds of so-called faith according to James, are in fact not faith at all. So to conclude, um, because this is a really hard week, um, I want to read some questions that I found during my study. They're not my questions. Um, full disclosure, I completely ripped them off the internet. Uh, but they were great, and so uh, I figured, why well, reinvent the wheel? But they're kind of questions that will help us gauge where we are today. And I want us to all be honest with ourselves. Because if this is impacting you at all, and you're like, I can relate to this, that's not good, I want to change, you're probably not someone who has dead faith. <laughs> uh, just to be clear, if, if you want to change, if you feel that compelling need to change, I don't think you have to worry too much, but we do want to become more like Jesus every day. So let's go through these questions to close, uh, to kind of gauge where we are. So first of all, was there a time when I honestly realized I was a sinner and admitted this to myself and to God? Was there a time when my heart stirred me to flee from the coming judgment? Have I ever been seriously worked up or in distress over my sin? Do I truly understand the gospel that Jesus died for my sin and then rose from the dead? Do I understand and confess that I cannot save myself? Did I serious, sincerely repent of my sins, making the decision to turn from them? Do I now hate sin and fear God, or do I secretly love sin and want to enjoy it? Have I trusted Jesus alone for my salvation by responding to the commands he has given? Have I confessed my faith in him and been baptized for the forgiveness of sin as he and the apostles commanded? Has there been a change in my life? Not am I Jesus, not am I a perfect person. Has there been a change? Do I strive to do good works? Or are my good works occasional and weak? Do I work to grow in the things of God? Can others tell that I am a Christian? Do I have a desire to share Jesus with others? Or am I ashamed of him? Do I enjoy the fellowship of God's people? Is worship a pleasure to me? Am I ready for Jesus' return, or will I be ashamed when he comes for me? And again, these are not, if you answered no to any of these, you're not saved. That's not what this is about. Um, it, it's all about kind of gauging where our faith is, uh, how deep it is, if it's something we need to work on, because we all need to work on our faith. So as we leave this week, it's my hope and my prayer that we will all find ourselves in Jesus. 
and that we will be examples of true, dynamic, saving faith to the world. Like light shining to the darkness, drawing others to it like moths to a lamp, so that the whole world will have the opportunity to know Jesus and to experience this true, saving faith for themselves. Father God, I thank you that we don't have to earn our salvation. But God, we want to be changed, and we want to live for you, and we want to be evidence in and of ourselves to the world that you do have the power to change and save lives. And so we just ask that you would work in us and help us to grow. God, we know that we don't have to run a perfect race, and we thank you for that, but we do know that we have to run it, and we just ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to do so, and that you would transform us and change us so that we can be lights to the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.